It is Midday Magazine for Tuesday, August 15th. I'm Hannah Floor with KFSK News. Class is almost back in session, and Petersburg's school board will hold its first meeting of the year this evening at 6 p.m. As KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports, the board is slated to bump up elementary school lunch prices in the wake of inflated food costs. In 2011, the USDA issued a policy requiring schools participating in the National School Lunch Program to ensure that they have enough money in the account serving students who aren't eligible for free or reduced-priced meals. In order to meet this requirement for the coming year, the Petersburg School District has to start raising prices. By the state's calculations, Alaska schools should charge $5.07 for each lunch. But instead of turning such a sharp corner so quickly, they can start at $3.75 and increase the price incrementally. Adult meals aren't subsidized at all, so the school district will look at raising the price to $6.50 for lunch and $4 for breakfast for adults. In other business, the board will vote on a six-year capital improvement plan for Petersburg school buildings. The plan lists several major maintenance and building projects for which the district wants to pursue state funding. The first priority it lays out is to replace the roof of the middle and high school building, which has had numerous leaks in the last few years. It also includes district-wide electrical upgrades like key fob locks for school doors and ambient light sensors for their hallways. Then the board is set to recognize Jamie Cabral, the district's athletic director, for earning the Champion for Kids Award. Each year, Alaska's Children's Trust recognizes Alaskans for their efforts towards preventing child abuse and neglect. Cabral will be honored at a ceremony in Anchorage on September 20th, and then at another in Petersburg in mid-October. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Petersburg School Board will meet this evening at 6 p.m. in the Middle and High School Library. KFSK will broadcast the meeting live and post the recording on our website, kfsk.org. The new school year will start on Tuesday, August 29th. A late summer storm brought the rain to southeast Alaska over the weekend. On Saturday, Sika broke a decades-old daily rainfall record, which elevated the community's landslide risk. It's the second time Sitka's been on medium alert since the groundbreaking landslide warning dashboard was unveiled to the public last year. Catherine Rose reports. Record-breaking rainfall over the weekend caused at least one landslide near Sitka. Pete Boyd is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Juneau. He says much of southeast got drenched over the weekend as an atmospheric river moved through. But only Sitka broke a 62-year record. The old record was 4.22 inches set back in 1961. And the new record for 2023 is 4.42 inches of rain in one 24-hour period. Uh, the other thing that this is impressive is this is the eighth highest rainfall for one day for reported at the Sitka airport as long as records have been uh, reported there. By midday on Saturday, the rainfall rate had risen enough over a short period of time to trigger the relatively new landslide warning dashboard into medium alert. Unveiled to the public a year ago this month, the dashboard uses rainfall data to determine Sitka's landslide risk as low, medium, or high. It was developed by the Sitka Sound Science Center in partnership with numerous other organizations after a landslide claimed three lives in Sitka in 2015. 
With the big storm forecast and the pounding rain in the middle of the day, it was the first time many Sitkins checked the dashboard to discover an elevated landslide risk. Dr. Annette Patton is the lead geoscientist with the Science Center. She says Saturday wasn't the first time the dashboard lit up yellow. The previous time was very briefly in the middle of the night without a whole lot of warning. This was kind of the first opportunity to see the full functionality of the dashboard and how it could be used. So definitely nerve wracking, but also we were really grateful to have a tool to be able to share with folks. And a very sizable landslide did happen over the weekend in Crawfish Inlet, about 30 nautical miles south of Sitka. And while the warning system is tailored to predict landslides closer to town, it's still a valuable data point for Patton. You know, one of the things that we know about warning and emergency communication is that if you tell people that an event is going to happen and then it doesn't, people start to lose trust. So, you know, in some senses, the fact that there was a landslide that didn't hurt anybody is, you know, it's not a good thing. But um, in that sense, it means that our tool is working the way that it's supposed to. And hopefully that helps folks learn to trust the system. The landslide also brings home the importance of community engagement in the development and continued honing of the warning system. Lisa Bush is the executive director of the Sitka Sound Science Center. We know about the landslide that happened in Crawfish because a fisherman, Mo Johnson, took a picture and sent it to his sister, Karen, who posted it, and we all passed it around. Um, but I guess I just really want people to know that sending those pictures really makes a big difference and it really does help the science. Landslide monitors will hopefully get a break later this week. Meteorologist Pete Boyd says while Sitka's expected to get more rain midweek, the skies are looking clear this weekend. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Katherine Rose. An Anne Creek Wildlife Observatory, located on the mainland about 25 miles southeast of Wrangell, is one of the most popular bear viewing sites in southeast Alaska. It's managed by the U.S. Forest Service, and the agency is proposing a 400% increase to the cost of a permit to visit, from $10 to $50. Sage Smiley reports from Wrangell. Where salmon return to spawn, black and brown bears often follow, feeding on the schools of fish to store up for the winter. And where bears are feeding, people go to watch. Over 3,000 people visit remote Annan Creek every year to see bears and other wildlife. But the trip might be a bit more expensive in the coming years, with a fee increase from $10 to $50 for permits to the site. Tori Hauser is a recreation planner with the Forest Service in Wrangell. She says that throughout the country, the Forest Service is looking at the economics of bear viewing areas and comparing the fees and permits to other similar sites. It's the only one that has come up nationally where we've had a really large investment into the physical aspects of Annan. So we have recently rebuilt the entire deck. We've done a prospectus to update our distribution of permits with our commercial operators. And we are investing another nearly a million dollars into the lower deck. So because of all of this investment, I think that's why this is the one location where we're looking at a fee increase. By one location, Hauser means the one location in the Wrangell Ranger District where there's a proposed fee increase. There are a dozen other proposed increases throughout Tongass National Forest for cabins and other recreation sites. 
Access to Anan is limited by the permits. Hauser says the majority of people who visit Anan come with commercial operators, so the cost of the permit is wrapped up in their tour cost. So, Hauser says the local visitors are the ones that might be most impacted by a fee increase at Anan. From what we've seen so far, there hasn't been a lot of opposition to the fee increase in general, but there is a sense that people would like to have maybe a free days or some days where people could go and and not have to pay um, that full $50. And I think the concern that has been raised is that a local person trying to bring their family who's been going to Annan every year for the last, you know, 25 years, it used to cost $40 to bring your family of four and now it's going to cost $200. And that that might make it not manageable for uh, that that group of people. If the proposed increase from $10 to $50 goes through, Hauser says it won't happen all at once. We're looking at doing it incrementally over a four-year period. So going from $10 to $20 to $30 to $40, and then finally arriving to $50. Hauser says the Forest Service wants feedback about the proposed increase. She encourages anyone with concerns, whether that's about how it's carried out, the amount, or the effect, to submit comment to the Forest Service. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. Cedar bark roses are a traditional First Nations craft in the Pacific Northwest, including for Thinket people. Soaked strips of cedar bark are folded into golden roses, which dry stiff and light. As part of a community reporting project on wellness, Alaska Public Media's Rachel Cassandra talked to Frank Hughes and Cake. He and his wife have made thousands of roses over the years, and he's discovered that for him, they have a unique healing effect. My name is Frank Hughes. I'm retired. I'm Clinkett and Aleut, Eagle Clan, Killer Whale, Dakawiti. Uh, I've been here in Cake since May of 1986. I served in the Army in 1975 to 1983. I'm a disabled veteran, service-connected hearing loss, ringing in my ears. It's constant. It don't go away. And it bothers me sometimes because I'm hearing it all the time. And it it affects who I am because I, I struggle with hearing. People are talking to me. I can't hear it, what they're trying to say, especially if they're behind me. We harvest the bark off the tree, there's red cedar and yellow cedar. We use what's what's available. Usually the wife gets the good stuff and I get the leftover stuff and I, I think that's just my nature. But I, I make stuff out of it. Probably 2010, the, again, the wife and I were making roses. We're, we're going to sell them to the tourists just to keep us busy. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting in my chair I can oversee the water, and then as I started making the rose, I started saying, there it goes. I said, something to that effect, it's gone, or she said, what? I said, the ringing in my ears, it it stopped. And then I, I started picking it back up again, and I said to myself, I'm saying this, this is nice, this is really nice. So I set it down, pick up another one like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I got a pile like 20. I said, I never felt this good in a long time. It, it makes me feel good. When I'm making the rose, it's the only relief I get 
and I, I told my wife, I said, when I'm making these roses, you know, don't bother me. I, don't ask me anything like that. Only if it's an emergency, you know, the house is on fire, there's earthquake coming, a tidal wave, it's like, I used to, you could bother me then, but other than that, you know, it, only two minutes and, you know, anything else can wait. So it, it's one of the things that, again, the only relief I get that nobody else can see it, nobody else hears it, but we can talk about it. But I'm the only one that, for two minutes, it, it just don't bother me. <laughs> that was Frank Hughes from the Organized Village of Cake. He's told his doctors about his experience, and they say that if it works, keep doing it, but they can't explain it. This interview is part of a grant-funded collaborative community reporting project focused on health and wellness in rural Alaska. You can find out more about the project and its ethical practices on the web version of this story at alaskapublic.org. The wheels of the legal system continue to grind in a lawsuit filed earlier this year by the state of Alaska, challenging whether the federal government can des- designate new parcels of land as Indian country. Last week, the Alaska Attorney General asked the U.S. District Court of Alaska for a summary judgment on its lawsuit against the Bureau of Indian Affairs and Haida, the regional tribal government for Southeast Alaska. In January, the Assistant Secretary of the Interior, Brian Newland, granted Haida's request to take a small parcel of land in downtown Juneau into trust. Alaska Attorney General Treg Taylor says Newland didn't have the authority to do that. That's because the 1971 Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act doesn't allow new trust land to be created in Alaska. Instead of adding new reservations, the settlement created native corporations. Those were given cash and legal title to 44 million acres of land. And although the piece of land in question is tiny, it's less than 800 square feet, The state says if it remains in trust, it creates the equivalent of a reservation, which the Claims Act sought to prevent. It's a huge issue in a state with more than 200 tribes. Two other tribes, Ninilchik and Fort Yukon, have other land into trust requests pending, as well as Lincoln and Haida. The state's request for a summary judgment is a pretrial motion, in which the judge can decide some issues and set others aside for later. For now, both parties are submitting written arguments to the court. A spokesperson for the Department of Law says there may be oral arguments at some point. Slinka and Haida says putting land into trust gives it economic benefits and access to federal and tribal programs. This has been Midday Magazine for Tuesday, August 15th. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.